Romans chapter 9. So it's interesting, when I started uh, this series on Romans, I was like, uh, maybe I could get Jake to preach chapters 9, 10, and 11. Um, they, are, they are three chapters that, that create a lot of controversy. In fact, one uh, commentator has said, in, in the book of Romans, you have eight chapters of gospel. Right? So we just finished eight chapters of, of gospel. Uh, he says, and you also have uh, five chapters of application. He's talking about the last three. In the middle, there's three chapters, which is a puzzle. Um, but here's one of the beautiful things about doing what we do, taking our time to go from Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, to, you know, to 4, where Abraham is told that he was, he was saved by faith, not by his works, uh, to like a chapter 7 where the apostle is dealing with the indwelling sin and he's wrestling with it. And it's this beautiful, beautiful uh, picture of just, this is my heart. He's, he uses that first person pronoun. It's me. I do the things I don't want to do. And then we get to chapter 8. Well, we spent 10 weeks on chapter 8. 10 weeks on chapter 8 with one main point. This beautiful truth that God's children are secure. And we end with a beautiful 31 to 39, that, that last bit. Look at verses 38 of chapter, um, of chapter 8. This is where we ended last week. He says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was so moved by that passage all week. And I loved it that Bo called me on Monday and said, Pard, that was great. It's like, I needed that. I said, I needed it too. I needed it. I needed that, that beautiful, secure ending. And I don't know if you remember, but I left you with a question. Really, I asked you just to go home and ask yourself, am I sure? Apostle said, the apostle says, I'm convinced. Again, the placement of that in the context of the word is so vitally important. It has followed chapter 7, where he tells this ongoing battle with sin. What can separate me from the love of God? Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And I asked you last week to go home and consider that. Are you certain? Are you sure? And so when we get to chapter 9, we face really what was the apostle's greatest challenge to the truths of chapter 8. Right? So you have to realize, like, he is writing to a people, primarily Gentiles, but Jewish believers as well. You know, Peter was the, was the apostle that, that seemed to click with the, with the Jews, and he was the one that was kind of sent to the Jews. And Paul was a Jew, raised, he was a Pharisee, uh, and, and he is writing to the Roman church, primarily Gentiles. But what happens in chapter 9 uh, is, is, is wonderful. I mean, we can't just stop at chapter 8. Now, here's the other thing we're going to find out about chapter 9. Uh, as many people as like to quote Romans 8, 28, I would say probably less than one in a thousand uh, will quote, uh, <laughs> probably less than one in a thousand of those who quote 8, 28 would quote 9, 13, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. I don't see that on any greeting cards anywhere. I don't see it in the little morning verse devotional. Um, 
Maybe it should. Maybe the Presbyterians are the ones that have the guts enough to do, you know, here's a blessing box that you can buy at a Hallmark store, but you have to go online into the deep enclaves of the dark web to find out the Presbyterians have produced a, a, a whole packet of verses that contain curses. Right? And, you know, you give that one to your son when he's disobeying. Oh, go, go to the other box, son. Right? Um, but you see why it's difficult. But, but what, what, what Paul is facing is, I have just told you how wonderful the promises of God are. How this order of salvation that I have laid out that before the foundation of the world, God said, I am going to choose a people to be my very own. Paul, you're telling us that those people are lost. What about your own people, Paul? If you're saying that nothing will separate us from the love of God, what about the Jews? Right? He faced all sorts of persecution from the Jews. He was beaten, stoned, flogged. E everywhere he would go and have his little revival, they would follow behind him and say, don't listen to this guy, he's mad. Right? Paul, Paul you're saying uh, that nothing can separate us, but, but, but you're also saying that your own countrymen have, 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 have left the good graces of God. How can you, in one breath, claim all of God's promises are going to be fulfilled, but these Jews who do not receive Christ as their Savior will not be saved? Now, um, I think that, I don't know if anybody in Grove, America, wakes up on a Sunday morning and says, sure am concerned about those Jews. Not sure I can believe what the pastor says, because I got a Jewish neighbor here that doesn't believe in Jesus, and he's supposed to go into heaven too, right? And I told you in St. Louis, a huge Jewish community, four big synagogues where we lived. Right, my neighbor across the street, I talked to him, especially when I was preaching through Ezekiel and Exodus. Um, I'd go talk to him, and he was like, yeah, but we're great. He goes, we're great because uh, if we're right, we're in. If you're right, we're in. I'm like, I, I, I don't know who you've been talking to, <laughs> but that's not at all how I read it. But it is a common thought in our culture. But there's still this one way of salvation for Gentiles and this other way of salvation for Israel. And so it is important that he addresses it. Very important that he addresses it here because if God has failed to keep his promises with Israel, why will we trust him to keep his promises to the rest of us? And so it, it's not a confusing thing. It's not just taken out of context or out of order and just thrown in there. It is what he has done so far through the first eight chapters. He has presented God's truth, and then he has presented the objections, the reasonable objections. We saw five of them last week. We'll see them all throughout 9, 10, and 11. The objections to Christ is the only way. So um, this, uh, this section not just important for a Jewish non-Christian, but important for us. Um, and I just want to speak an aside here. You know how I get frustrated with the health and wealth gospel. And I speak against the health and wealth gospel 
all the time because they take the word out of context. They clip it here and here. Right? And, and we can't do the same. We can't just live on 828 and not deal with 913. It, it, it is not for us to do that. And the reason I get angry is because what happens here is what happens here. I run into people. I was told that if I believed this, my cancer would go away. I was told if I believed this, my kids would be saved. And it hasn't happened, therefore I can't trust God. That's the same argument here. Someone has taken portions of the word, and that's what Israel did. They took portions of the word and the promise, and they said, we are secure because of this. And it happens all in the New Testament, but it also happens in the Old Testament over and over and over again. God says, these are signs. I have made a covenant with you. Um, But here are the blessings, and here are the curses. Here is where I long to take you. Here are the warnings of where you will go. I mean, we see it all throughout the Old Testament. If you read it in context, you will see that that, that's what God says all the time. So when we get to chapter 9, it logically fits in. It makes absolute sense. Now, I want to throw one more thing out there for you to think about. Maybe one of the hardest things uh, for a Christian is when we see someone who we believe followed Christ. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it rattles us. I've known missionaries that have sacrificed so much to go and spread the gospel and later in life say, I was wrong, I don't believe this gospel. I'm sorry for those of you I tried to convert. We've seen prominent Christian leaders fail. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but I, 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 see, I see these things and I'm like, oh no. Oh no, Lord, uh, what's that gonna do to your church? Right? And that's the same thing here. What about Israel? What about this people? that every aspect of their life reflected the creator, covenant, law-giving God. What about these people? If these people can be lost, how can I be certain that nothing will separate me from the love of God? So folks, that's the question here. We may not get the full answer today, but that's the question. And so when I put in the sermon a sentence that, that the gospel, we have, to, we have to ask hard questions. That's the hard question. What about Israel? So that, that's where we are in chapter 9, 10, and 11. We're gonna, I'm going to try to get through the first 13 verses of chapter 9 this morning. But there is a possibility, a distinct possibility, we'll only get through the first three. I'll do my best. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> I just want to tell you one other uh, theologian. I, I told you about the one that thought it was three chapters of a puzzle. Another one has said, no, not at all. In fact, this is the climax of the letter. Um, we, we have to grasp this just as much as we needed to understand Romans 8. Romans 9, 1 to 13. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, 
according to the flesh. They are the Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belongs the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Chapter 9 is the fall of Israel. Chapter 10, Israel's fault. And chapter 11, the future of Israel. This whole section, though, it ends with the doxology, which I will use as a benediction this morning. So throughout, when we go through Romans 9 through 11, at the end of our worship, I will pronounce these words over you. And it is my prayer that this is where you are. When we get finished with 9, 10, and 11, here's how this whole section ends. Listen to these beautiful words, and you'll hear them again at the close of the service. Uh, Romans 11, 33 to 36. And I'm just putting it out there because we'll go there. We'll have, to, we'll have to wade through some hard things. But here's where we are to land. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who's given a gift to Him that He might be repaid for? From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. That's where we will end up. Uh, stay the course. Do your homework, do your reading, read over these verses prayerfully. That's where we will end. Paul's conversion marked him really by his people as a, uh, I mean, maybe the worst thing we could think about as an American, right? He was a, he was a race trader, a class trader, a heretic, a cultist. And it wasn't just what he believed, it was all that he was doing to lead his own people the people of promise, the people of covenant. He was leading them away as they claimed from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this section will answer their objections, but really ours as well. If God didn't keep his covenant to Israel, why should I expect him to keep it with me? So in chapter 9, we'll look at that in four, four weeks. This week, first 13 verses, uh, is God's word, can we, can we believe it? 14 and 18, is God unjust? Is, is our God somehow unfair? 
19 to 29 deals with the theodicy, God's judgment and wrath uh, as, as we look at it with his mercy and grace. And then we end in 30 to 33 with another one of Paul's classic statements. What shall we say then? <laughs> what are we to say to these things? Right? And then we'll end with that doxology. The offense of the gospel must never keep us from asking hard questions. The hard question here is, are you a member of the true Israel? Are you a member of God's chosen people? Paul is now offering to Gentile dogs, as they were called, as he was raised, he is offering to them this wonderful relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is offering it to them through faith. They don't even have to get circumcised. They don't have to keep the feasts, the dietary laws. He is offering to them a relationship with this God that their entire existence was based upon pleasing Him. What they ate, what they wore, their, their ceremonies, their holidays, physical signs, all of it. Paul is now offering it to this whole group of people that have no history with our God, and he is offering it to them through faith. They don't have to climb the mountain. He's offering it to them free. That's the offense of the gospel. And it is more offensive to the self-righteous. That may be the offense of the gospel here in Grove. When you encounter a person and they tell you, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Where, where do you worship? I always ask where you worship. I never ask where you go to church. Okay, so don't, don't fall into that where you go to church. Ask them where you go to worship. Right? Where do you go to worship? Well, I don't go to church. Okay, where do you go to worship? What do you mean? What are you worshiping? Oh, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. Are you sure? How dare you ask me? You don't think I'm a Christian because I don't go to your church? No, 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 it has nothing to do with it. It's offensive. How will God let you into my heaven? Well, I've tried. I've really tried hard. You know, try to be a good person. Okay, not enough. Sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Right? It's offensive. But I think we're afraid of the offense of the gospel. And I think Christians, in efforts to... to and, and really, and I think in honorable efforts to present our God in a way that people will accept him, do everything we can to remove the offense. And here comes the Apostle Paul to his Jewish brothers and sisters, his kinsmen, and he says, none of that stuff will make you right with God. In fact, it is, it is, it is in resting upon these things, and we'll go over them in a minute, that you are, you are actually blocking the gospel of grace. But as we start, I, I want to uh, also point this out. Chapter 9, 10, and 11, all of them start with this uh, testimony of Paul saying, here is what I think about my brothers. Here is, here, here is it is this beautiful, compassionate heart. So in your outline, I have it just as Paul's heart in these first three verses. All right, now you've got to remember, this is his feelings, his desires, his wishes, his cravings. This is what he faces their abuse for. 
I, hey, this, I, I, this is why I am preaching the gospel. This is why I am in change. Chained. This is, this is why I do this. These, to these folks that seek to kill him, the, the first thing we see is really his sincerity. Verse 1, he says, I am speaking the truth. Now, Christians, we are to speak the truth. Not my truth, not your truth. The truth. If we love any person in this world, we speak to them the truth. That's what he says. I am speaking the truth. Even if it means you're going to hate me. It is not a loving or kind thing to allow a person to believe a lie without challenge. To live a lie without confrontation. The Apostle Paul could have gone to an easier place. Could have gone to an easier place. Where is an easy place? Like it's interesting in our, in our Mission North America, our church planning uh, arm of our denomination, you have easy places to plant churches. And you have hard places to plant churches. You have areas of the country that there is a more receptivity to the gospel and areas of the country where you, you will face hardship at every turn. You'll, you'll find it difficult to rent a place. But Paul says, I will speak the truth. Brothers and sisters, I am speaking the truth. And then he even emphasizes it more by saying, and I am not lying. I am not deceiving you. I am not giving you the partial truths that affirm what you want to believe. I'm not choosing the passages of the Old Testament and the covenant promises that make you like me and make you feel comfortable. I am not going to lie to you. No partial truths. I, I want to give you the whole of God's counsel. And then thirdly, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. He's not just saying my knowledge or even my feelings. He says, but the Holy Spirit dwells in me, and the Holy Spirit is the Lord over my conscience. I mean, that, that has a history throughout biblical revelation, right? Uh, our, our, our conscience ruled by the Spirit of God. And he says, I'm not lying, I'm telling you the truth. And God the Holy Spirit is bearing witness in my conscience. Furthermore, he's willing to suffer. He's willing to suffer. It would have been hard for him to suffer. I'm sure uh, his family and relatives and those he had led to Christ prayed that the suffering would be light and that he would be released but he had to suffer and that too proves his sincerity he is sincere and he is sorrowful verse 2 here's here's what my conscience is bearing witness that i have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart If you're to confront the lies in any culture, lies of identity, lies of perversion, lies of universalism, lies concerning the nature of God, you, you need to do it in a sorrowful demeanor. 
Because those who believe lies about themselves and about our God are in a pitiful state. They deserve our compassion. It is not the angry reformer that beats on the pulpit. It is the one with tears in his eyes that says, Be reconciled to our God. You are believing and following a lie. He is sorrowful. I think many times our message does get lost because the messengers are not sorrowful. Our world is hurting people. Science hasn't fixed everything. Colleges have not healed the nation. Our nation is hurting. Our people are hurting. Our children are hurting. They're confused. They're lost. And will the church sit back and say, well, I just don't want to ruffle any feathers. Whatever, if that makes you happy. Paul says it, it is just deeply I am in deep anguish over this. I find it's easy for us sometimes to laugh and even make fun of the world and its hurt as it is turned away from the living God. That is all seems to happen until, until you spend time in prayer with parents struggling with a child that wants to have a gender-changing surgery. It ain't funny. It should bring us to compassion and sorrow. In fact, I'll go far to say, this is just Kuiper here, but I'll go as far to say is you're not ready to confront with the truth until you're sorry, until you hurt for them. What amount of anguish and grief must be going on in a person's soul? For them to say, I'll try this. That's Paul to the Jews. Oh, my brothers, I have deep sorrow and anguish over your rejection of the Messiah. I hurt over it. Therefore, I'm going to tell you the truth. We see this in Jesus, right? In Jesus 13. Jesus in Luke 13. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is him crying out. It's the city that kills the prophets and it stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you're not willing. Jesus, full of compassion, cries out to the lost. Uh, thirdly, he is serious. Look at this, verse 3. What a crazy verse this is. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. How could he be any more serious? The one thing that Paul the Apostle has that can't be taken from him by beatings, by abuse, by being deprived, by being in prison, the one thing that can't be taken is his standing with God Almighty through Jesus Christ. That can't be taken from him. Whatever the Jewish courtroom says can't be taken from him. Whatever all his peers say, that can't be taken from him. And yet he says, I could wish. It's an optative voice there, which, which is um, kind of a, a fanciful, you know, if there was anything I could give 
to have them turn. I, I know it's not possible. I know it's not going to happen. Uh, one person calls this a spark from the fire of Christ's substitutionary love. I like it how Martin Luther addresses this verse. He goes, it seems incredible that a man would desire to be damned in order that the damned might be saved. What's he saying there? Paul has this spark of love for the lost that is similar to Christ's love for the lost. I could offer myself. So whenever we share the gospel and we answer the objections, we must have this type of heart. The lost soul before me, the angry protester before me, the person hurling abuse on the church and its ministers. They're my soul. They're my kin. They're my people. I did nothing to earn my place with the Lord Jesus. He did it all. And so I will offer this same gospel to others, though they hate me. That's Paul's heart. I'm going to just do a little bit on verse 6, and then we'll have the Lord's Supper together. He makes this charge, and it's good that we'll stop here. We'll pick this up in a couple of weeks. Um, the charge is uh, that the word of God has failed. And the apostle says, no, it has not failed. Um, he says, look, look at all these historical markers, verses 4, 5, and 8. I'll run through it quickly. He says, you know, Israel, the Jewish nation, this is what was given to them. They were given this adoption. So Israel, you, you grew up knowing this story. If you're a little Hebrew boy or girl, you grow up knowing all of these stories that amongst all the nations of the world, God chose to show special favor and call his own a people. He says, a people for my possession. That's how these kids were raised, right? You have a special role, son. Why is this mark on me? Why are we doing all these? You have a special role. You're part of a chosen people amongst all the nations of the world. And it wasn't because you were smart. It wasn't because you were loyal. Whenever he says it, he often throws in there, you're a stiff-necked people. It wasn't because you had great numbers and you could beat everybody else. No, it was so I could show my mercy. He says, that, that's you, Israel. You had the glory. God appeared in the glory cloud to them. And on top of the mountain, in a pillar of fire, he destroyed all the pagan gods with ten plagues and rescued a people. You had the glory of God. Your people, your nation, your kindred, your forefathers, they saw God in a way that no other nation has ever seen him. That was given to you. You were given the covenants all throughout the Old Testament. Now, those of you who missed adult Sunday school, you're going to have to listen to it. Jeff did an amazing job of taking us through the idea of God's covenant all through the Old Testament. Um, I was waiting until he got to Genesis 15, and he, he ran out of time. Sorry about that, brother. But Genesis 15, um, uh, R.C. Sproul says, um, I forget which verse it is in Genesis, where it says, on that day, the Lord cut a covenant. R.C. Sproul said, that's the most amazing verse in the Bible, on that day, on that day, God made a covenant with Abraham. God committed himself, and Paul is saying, Jews, you have the covenants. You've seen our God's faithfulness. You had the giving of the law. 
What nation was like you that had such amazing laws? Why were they great businessmen? Because there were laws about business. You were given the laws. You, you had safety in buying and selling property because you were given the laws. God, God displayed his image and his wonder in, in all that you did in worship. What God is like our God? In worship, you have the whole system in Leviticus. Like God saying, by the way, all these other nations around you, they worship gods, but they're idols, they're demons, they're goats, they're rivers, they're birds. It's themselves. I will show you how to worship me. So I know sometimes we Presbyterians, it, it seems that worship is so structured and um, you know, we talk about it, but worship is not regulated by how we feel, what we want to do. It's not worship by, hey, we can do everything God tells us not to do, uh, unless God tells us not to do it. We seek to structure worship as he has shown us. These things I delight in. When you take over these countries, when you don't inquire and say, how do they worship their gods? Because their worship is offensive to me. And what do we have? We have the worship of pagan gods right in our midst. I mean, our, our, our gods and goddesses, they, they look prettier, but it's the same cost, isn't it? Freedom of all forms of sexual expression at the cost of our baby's lives. Israel, you had worship given to you. What God is like that? Israel, you had the promises. Israel, you had the patriarchs. And he concludes this little, just this little run to the Old Testament and saying, but you also had the Christ according to the flesh. He was from your bloodline, right? It wasn't like a Philistine showing up to a Jewish, Jewish temple and saying, oh, by the way, uh, Dagon is the real God. That's why we defeated you back here. Dagon is the real God. No, no, you had someone from your own upbringing. You have Matthew's gospel where it says he fulfilled everything. Ceremonial. Worship, moral. He said, you had all of these things. These were all given to you. And you know what? It didn't guarantee your salvation. It didn't guarantee your salvation. What does John the Baptist do when he comes out laying the way for Christ? He says, bear fruits in keeping repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves... We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And then in John 8, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees. And he says, don't you dare say that, that Abraham is our father. And you can't claim that. And so here's the truth, and we'll spend more time on this, but, but, but there's always been two Israels. Right? There has been the, the ethnic Israel. Israel, that the nation. But even in that nation, there has been what, what, what they call in the scripture the, the child of the promise. Right? And so that's why he quotes in, in um, 6 all the way through 13, he quotes these two accounts. Right? The, the first has to do um, with Isaac and Ishmael. Right? So you have two seeds of Abraham. Right? And, and so what is he saying? He's saying, you know your Bible. You have it all given to you. I'm not saying anything that's new. 
Oh, Israel, I, I am pointing you to what has always been. Israel, the nation, was never, ever to say, uh, look at my dress, look at how I've worshipped God, look at the circumcision of me and all of my children, therefore God will bless us. They were always told, seek God with your whole heart. Repent of your sins. Immediately Leviticus is brought in and says, here's how your sins will be dealt with. So he says, here's Isaac and Ishmael. And then he also says, well, what about Jacob? Jacob and Esau, right? Again, both, both of Abraham's lineage. One I loved and one I hated. Um, we'll get to this more, not next week, because next week Blake is going to be here from Owasso, and I'm swapping pulpits with him. So in two weeks from now, we'll finish this up. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't want to just rush through it. And I don't want to keep us from the Lord's table. Um, but I, I do want to end with this question. Which Israel are you? We have a plague in our country of nominal Christianity. People who claim to be Christians. I'm not Muslim, so I'm a Christian. I'm American, uh, so I'm a Christian. Right? Uh, which Israel are you? Are you sticking to the things of the flesh and the externalities? I was baptized on this day. I said this prayer this day. Or are you the Israel whose heart is turned in gratitude, an overflowing abundance of his mercy and grace to the living God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the things that you gave Israel and all the things that you have given us through your Son. And Father, it is easy for us to sit and, and, and point at all the things and say, how could they have missed it? And yet, Father, those fingers need to be pointed back to our very own hearts. How could we, sitting from where we sit, miss? Our God doesn't delight in meaningless sacrifices. But our God delights in a broken and a contrite heart. Our God opposes the proud, whether they be proud in their religiosity. He opposes them and gives grace to the humble. Oh, Father, we need your grace. We need the compassion of your risen Son to dwell in us. We need to not be ashamed of the gospel. And even if it would make others hate us, or call us ugly names. Oh, Father... Give us the compassion for the lost. Give us the assurance of Romans 8 that we will not be separated from your love. And give us hearts that beat for you and your glory. We set apart these elements now, Father, that it might minister to our very souls. You indeed are the God who gave your own son. The reason the sacrifices didn't work is they were pointing to the greater sacrifice. And our faith could not be in the blood of bulls and goats and sprinkling of the altar, but our faith must be and the risen Son of God. Make it so in us, we pray. Amen.